Okay, everybody, welcome back once again to Tech Gumbo. I'm Haggai Davis II, along with Haggai Davis III, and we'd like to welcome you to Tech Gumbo. Here on our show, we like to talk about the past, present, and future of all things technology in a topical, interesting, and digestible way. Without geek speak or a bunch of acronyms, we just want to talk about technology that's important to us and important to you. We also want to thank Cardinal Capital. To business owners and CEOs, hopefully you have a good relationship with your lender. Even if you do, sometimes you face other challenges, such as a need to consolidate debt, a want to level out your cash flow, or a desire to buy new equipment because you're in growth mode. If this describes you, give Cardinal Capital a call, whatever your need or challenge. They have over 4,000 lenders where they source commercial capital for business clients. Chris, Gary, and Rob at Cardinal Capital have a passion for business, and they want you to succeed. When you meet with Cardinal Capital, they get to know you and your business, so they can present your needs to lending institution that will best fit your unique situation. In short, they go after money for your business. They translate your business into what's important for lenders, and they are good at it. Depending upon what the deal is, no matter how complicated or straightforward, they will help maximize your profitability while setting your business up for success. They find the best solution for your situation, all while being fun and easy to deal with. For more detailed information, visit their website at cardinalcap.net. You can also call them 225-308-3700 or email them info at cardinalcap.net. So normally at this time, I would be asking young Haggai Davis III if he's ready to do some tech gumbo, but he's on an airplane doing some international studies. Instead, this week, we have Brian Haldane from Talk 107.3 going to sit in. Brian, welcome to Tech Gumbo. Man, I appreciate the invite. I, I don't know how much you're going to get out of me here. You, you know, uh, when you come on my show, the intro says you explain things in ways that even I can understand. So, fingers crossed. Not a problem. Let's get into what we normally do here. So we start off with news and updates and Big thing happened here recently. John B. Goodenough, the guy who invented the lithium-ion battery, died at 100 years of age. So, Haggai, when you sent the story over, first of all, I never heard of John B. Goodenough. So my first reaction was, there's no way that's really his name. But, okay, so it is. What an interesting cat. Like, has no had no interest in money, no interest in profiting off of this, which seems obscene in this day and age, in any day and age, really. But it seems obscene that he would, like, he never got a dime off the lithium-ion battery. And, in fact, whenever he got royalties or anything like that for anything he invented, he turned it over into further research or rewards for other people who were putting in the work, including when he was part of the Nobel Prize in 2019, share of the $900,000, he gave it to the other major contributors and said, look, the University of Texas pays my salary. That's all I need. I mean, what, you know, what a renaissance dude, right? Yeah, this guy was so good. He was a professor of engineering at the University of Texas, and he worked with some heavy hitters from from Oxford and, and different universities around MIT, that kind of thing. But he just didn't like the way things were going with the, the original NICAD batteries. So he was looking at some different chemicals, and he noticed what, lithium was able to do and was more stable than the the, the NICAD. And he put together the idea of the, the lithium ion. And because of that, he changed the way 
every device is powered since the year 2000. I, you, you mentioned it. You kind of brushed right past that, though, right? He, MIT, Oxford, and UT Austin, like the duality there. And he spent most of his time on the back end of his career. I think the back end of his career from like the mid-'80s till, till he passed at UT Austin. What you're talking about going from MIT to UT, you're talking like going from Goodwill Hunting to Ricky Williams. There is a stretch right there. There is a gap in, in what my perception of both those two places are, you know, from the, the most prestigious, like the smartest of the smart, all the way down to the Longhorns, for crying out loud. Oh, come on. The good old boys at, at UT, they got some smarts in them. Do they now? <laughs> yes. All right, moving along. The boys and girls at YouTube are not liking people who use ad blockers. Yeah, I saw this one, man. I, I got, I, I'm torn on it because as a consumer, you always want to find a way around paying the premium for anything, right? You want to get, you want to get content, as much content as you can without having to dump into subscription after subscription after subscription. But if you're YouTube, I mean, what's your value to them? If you're blocking all the ads they show you. So YouTube has started testing. They're going to allow you, if you are using an ad blocker, you're going to get to see three videos with your ad blocker. After that, you're going to get a message that says you have to disable your ad blocker or you'll need to upgrade to YouTube premium. Which I'm, I'm curious about that because I have a YouTube TV subscription. But I don't think that applies to YouTube Premium back on the regular YouTube, right? I don't know that those two transfer over. So am I going to end up paying YouTube? Well, I mean, honestly, I just sit through the ads. Most of them are five seconds and opt out. So I, I just deal with it. But I don't want to pay YouTube twice, to be sure. I don't think you would. It would seem to me that if you have YouTube TV, that you would get the YouTube Premium as well. Maybe not. I've, I'm one of the guilty ones. I've used the ad blocker since I've started watching YouTube. I've never seen an ad on YouTube ever, so I wouldn't know what that looks like. Well, okay, so normally an ad pops up, and it says you can opt out of this ad after, and it'll count down from five seconds, and then it'll say skip ad. Now, there's a different level of what you pay, if I, if I know this right. if you, It depends on how much you're paying YouTube to run your ad as to whether or not people can opt out of it or not. And I think length of ad has something to do, do with that as well, because oftentimes the ones that you can opt out of are like three or four minute videos that are just like a mini infomercial. So you could skip past those after five seconds, which I don't think is that big of a big of a hindrance. My question, though, Haggai, is this. Why three? I mean, Schoolhouse Rock said three is the magic number. But if I'm YouTube, why would not I just from the start, as soon as you go to click on the video, your very first one say, nah, buddy, you got an ad blocker. you got to play by our rules or you can't play in our schoolyard. I guess they just want to give you a sample. They want to let you remember what it is that you're watching. And then once you've crossed that magic number, but if you want any more, you're going to have to disable your ad blocker or you're going to have to pay the piper. Yeah. Now, uh, you know, as, as since you're one of the ones that has the ad blocker, I mean, Think about it. If you're in YouTube shoes, what value are you giving them? Oh, none whatsoever. I mean, I'm I'm not. I'm I'm a freeloader on on YouTube. I, I admit that. Okay. I just I'm trying to put myself in that in that user's shoes. And here's the thing, and this goes back. To, this is why I was bringing up the three video thing. So there's three content creators 
or three different videos that are going to get a click from me, that are going to get an added view from me. And I can see the argument very easily coming around saying, well, I mean, I don't watch the ads, but I do contribute to how viral you are, according to YouTube, which to me, being a longtime mobile DJ, is like someone asking me to play a gig and saying, I'm not going to pay you for the gig, but you'll get the exposure. Yeah, you're the walking loss leader. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we'll see what happens with YouTube if they go forward and, and go all in. Right now, this is just in a testing situation, but... But like like with Netflix and, and their test where it finally went, got a feeling like this is going to stick. I, you know, I think so. But don't we use YouTube differently than we use Netflix? Like YouTube has so much more random randomness to it. Uh, when so the quote that they gave to TechCrunch was, "We're running a small experiment globally," which there's all kinds of unpacking there. We're running a small experiment globally that urges views, viewers with ad blockers enabled to allow ads on YouTube or try YouTube premium. I feel like they're trying to put their toe in the water without making a commitment. Like they're not so certain as Netflix has been, you know, constantly trying to flex. I don't think YouTube has that confidence that Netflix has. I, I agree with you. I think there's way too much of the, the shorter version, the, the, the five, 15, 20 minute videos trying to be in that same TikTok and, and reels and all of that kind of thing. So that if you start putting ads in front of that, well, I'm just going to stay away from your channel and or, or from YouTube. And maybe I will doubt it, but maybe I would go to TikTok instead of YouTube or something like that. Yeah. And, and there's also this from a business perspective. There's this to remember as well. If you're Netflix, the subscription is premium. Like the subscription is paramount to your business model because you pay for production as well. Netflix creates content. YouTube is user-generated content. So YouTube doesn't have to go out and pay actors and directors and writers and producers and, and everybody involved in production. Like, YouTube takes what you've already done, and then they're making a dime off of your back. That's why, like, to me, that would be the difference between the two. That's a great point. The fact that, that YouTube can kind of just sit back and hope that people are watching their ads as opposed to needing people to watch their ads. I mean, they're still selling advertising. Even though the ad blockers there, they're still building profiles on me. They know, hey, Haggai likes to watch sailboat channels. So feed him more sailboat channels and put advertising about sailing because he likes sailboat channels. Exactly. And meanwhile, Netflix has got to think somebody's got to cut Bob Odenkirk a check for better calls. Well, that's not a Netflix original. That's just where I'm seeing it now. But the, the Netflix originals that we've seen, they have to cut checks. They've got staff. They've got pay. They've got, you know, they've got overhead that YouTube does not have. Absolutely. So this may or may not ever actually launch. We'll have to keep an eye out and see where it's going. Yeah. The next story, the Wagner Group. That same group of mercenaries that turned their weaponry back towards Putin in Russia also has a group of hackers, and they shut down the, the Russian satellite internet provider. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what – does this say that, like, the Wagner group is stronger than we might have thought and more diverse or more uh, – have more diverse capabilities than we might have thought? Or does this say the Russian satellite internet system is – garbage. I, like, I don't know. 
which of the two we're talking about here. I mean, this sounds like a bad offshoot of the A-team. Like, somewhere in this Wagner group, you've got Hannibal and B.A. and, and Mad Dog and Faith. I don't, I don't know how that matches up to reality, but it's creating that image in my head of, like, what do you guys want to do next? I love that analogy. I think that's great. You got – because I can't imagine that Russians, Russia's version of, of Starlink is, is all that good. Don't know that they've got many satellites up there. And mm-hmm. it's – you know, if your satellites are spinning around the Earth and you only want to turn them on when they're over your country – so the majority of the time they're up there in space running around, they're turned off already. Yeah. And maybe the Wagner group just had a little bit too much information coming in from Russia already that made it easy for them to hack into this and shut it down. But, man, that's really not a good look if you're Russia. No, no. And, and it, it also is a testament to... I'm still of the belief that we're going to get to the point where global internet is like where the World Wide web covers the entire world and shutting things down from country to country will one day be a thing in the past. Now, I don't have the technical expertise to tell you how, but this is an example of the Wagner group is creating a need amongst the Russian people. If they shut down the internet, well, then the people are without their communication as limited as it was. It did kind of, not feed the beast, but keep the beast at bed, right? So necessity is the mother of invention. And if the Wagner group is going in and just going clap on, clap off with the Russian internet, someone's going to come up with something better. You can use Starlink out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean or in the middle of the Pacific Ocean right now. That's Mm kind of the worldwide internet access that you were kind of talking about. You just got certain countries like China and Russia that strongly encourage these satellite internet providers to shut down their signal over their over their 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 country. Now, do they really turn them off? But they make it difficult for you to have that that Starlink satellite receiver around outside of your house in China. So we'll keep an eye out. Maybe they're back online by now. Not sure. This all went down on June 24th. There's not been any word that it's ever come up. So we'll, we'll keep an eye out. Yeah. The next story we wanted to talk yeah. about comes from Intel. Intel has been creating these computer chips forever and ever and ever. And about 15 years ago, they started off calling them the i3 or the i5 and then the i7 and then the i9 processors, each processor being a little faster or a lot faster as it went along. And Intel's done some studying. Apparently, that's just too confusing to people to have that i in front of a number. Okay. I just assumed the i stood for Intel. You know, but it's lowercase like an iPhone, though. So maybe they people were thinking the same thing came from Apple. Not sure. sure. But the, the new naming structure is going to be a Core 3 or a Core 5 or a Core 7 or a Core 9 chip instead of the, the i3. And oh. it's just going to be an interesting thing. If you're, if you're in the industry like me and you have to work with people and when they're buying computers and they're trying to decide, well, what kind of computer, how fast do you need it to be? What are you trying to do? I'm, it makes a lot of difference to me. To the average consumer, 
who just wants to get email and get on Google and see what Facebook is doing or whatever social media platform, it's really not that big of a deal. So, okay, I'm glad to hear you put it that way, Haggai, because that's exactly how I read the story. I'm like, this, this story feels like it's insider posturing. Like, it's it's just flexing for within the industry, and everybody on the outside looking in is like, oh, my gosh, who cares? It really, it just kind of is, and, and even to the point where Intel was getting a little bit of pushback from the industry saying, hang on, now you're going to make us confuse our customers. So let's slow down on this rollout of this naming scheme. They were about mm-hmm. to do it just right away over the summer, but they've now pushed this back. Yeah, okay, we'll probably do it in 2024. And But just know that it's coming, is the, kind of the way the story has ended up. Well, I mean, as long as they provide like a conversion chart, right? I mean, that's yeah. it just doesn't make that much sense, though. I mean, it's it's yeah. not that big of a deal. The last story we wanted to get to is one of those no-brainers. Apple, when they announced the launch of these, the Vision Pro AV, the augmented reality, virtual reality goggles, these $3,500 monstrosities, when they first announced that they were going to sell 1 million units this year before Christmas, seems like they may have been a little ambitious with that yeah kudos to you on this one you predicted this on my show you said this was good overshooting by a long shot and and that's that's playing out in real time now i don't get it like and i know i'm not i'm not the tech guy i understand but like i don't get what the appeal would be to drop that amount of money on on the pro headset like is there that much demand in like for that much money in that space no, it, there's not. I mean, when Meta, with their $350 virtual reality goggles, don't sell many, why are you all of a sudden going to go out and spend 10 times that just because it has an Apple logo on it? Right, right. I don't I, think I just... Like a lot of things, I think they overshoot their, their own value. I think... And I'm I'm an Apple guy. I like Apple products to be sure, but man, the the level of self importance that you think that that most think that logo has, it, it it's it's infuriating, really. It's it's the hubris to think, hey, we'll slap a logo on this thing, and people are just going to come running and buying it for thirty five hundred dollars. I mean, I get people want to buy their iMacs. That's great. They're a great computer. They're very overpriced, but they are a very good computer. The fact that somebody is going to go out and buy a $3,500 augmented reality headset that, oh, by the way, has an external battery pack that's clipped to a belt. You've got this cable going down your back to the battery pack is just kind of silly to me. Yeah. And well, I, I will say this, though. It gives me hope for humanity that there isn't a rush to buy $3,500 augmented, augmented reality. Like the fact that our, our current reality uh, is, is enough to save the $3,500 that makes you feel like there might be hope for us after all. Yes. So when, when Apple had to announce that they revised down that million units sold by Christmas of this year to somewhere between 130 to 150,000 by the end of 2024, that yeah. caught a lot of people's attention. 
has anybody asked why yet? And I think that's going to be the important question on the back half of this year as far as they're concerned. Is, is, is the why? Is it the pricing? Is it it's just not as good as promised? Like those who are purchasing them, are they not raving about them in the way that Apple thought they would? And we'll keep looking out for it, and we'll tell you how it happens here on Tech Gumbo. We want to thank General Informatics for sponsoring our show. General Informatics is an information technology firm with a mission to make our clients even more successful through the best use of technology. Based in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, General Informatics is a premier IT managed service provider delivering exceptional managed IT solutions to a diverse base of customers across the southeastern United States. From the beginning, we have maintained our commitment to meeting the growing needs of our clients through continuous innovation. With over 20 years of experience and a team of 180 plus employees, including technicians, engineers, program designers, GI has evolved to become the leading IT partner of business schools and government agencies. Our managed services teams can run your digital infrastructure or support your team on an on-demand basis, letting you focus on your business strengths. This has become a proven formula. So proven that 98% of our clients continue to do business with us year after year. Whether you need IT services, new technology, or have a question, visit us on the web at geninf.com. If you enjoyed our show today, we are here on Talk 1073 FM every Saturday at 4 p.m. And the show reruns Sundays also at 4 p.m. If you missed any part of the show or you'd like to hear this or previous episodes, check out our podcast available on almost every podcast platform, including iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Audible, and more. When you're there, be sure to subscribe so you get notified every time we post a new episode. If you like our show or you have any suggestions, let us know on our website at www.techgumbo.net. Thank you for listening to Tech Gumbo.